0: welcome back to not alone a podcast about the intersection of faith and mental health we're so glad you're joining us this episode is all about labels and no we're not talking about the nutritional facts on food products but we will get into food several times this episode what we are talking about are the categories we assign to people and ourselves We'll go into what it looks like to break down labels of other people, how to parse out our own identity despite the labels we've received, how to recalibrate labels as descriptors and not defining characteristics, and also what labels God has assigned to us to actually bring us together. Here are your hosts, Michael, Evan, and Lindsay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone podcast, the podcast that explores faith, mental health, and just how enamored three people can be with this first crisp inhalation of fall air. That's right. It is October here in the Southeast, and we are so excited for a little fall weather. Not just the football, not just the s'mores, not just Halloween, not just the wonderful rhythms of fall coming back. No, we are excited about getting to discuss another wonderful topic to bridge faith, mental health, and the gap between the church and really what we all deal with. I think the church can get super out of touch with what the actual average person could even go through. And uh, we see that crop up a lot in mental health. So that's who we are. That's what we talk about. Once again, I'm joined by my two wonderful friends, Michael and Lindsay. I'll let them introduce themselves.
1: Hello, friends. It's good to be back. I uh, hope that you are well. This is Michael McCord, and uh, I work in the Methodist tradition with college students and um, ministries around the country, helping young people uh, discover the call and follow and, and live healthy, full lives that, that kind of pull, pull all their different parts together as a, as a whole being. Good to be with you today.
2: Hey everybody, it's Lindsay Geist back again, licensed clinical social worker and pastor in the United Methodist Church. I have a background of working with adults, um, about 18 and older, uh, dealing with anxiety, asking about their identity, life transitions. um, And I've worked with churches and nonprofits handling crisis and transition.
0: Well, welcome back everybody. And I am Evan and I get the pleasure of getting to hang out with these two. So we are so excited to jump right into our topic for this week, which is labels. We're talking about labels. Now we do need some clarification because to my knowledge, uh, labels is not necessarily a clinical term. You would not uh, seek out a counselor or a psychologist or psychiatrist and you wouldn't go to them and say, hi, I'm, I'm really struggling with labels. Now you might you might. Uh, I'm really struggling with labels, and I'd love to process the idea of labels in society and the role they play in my life. It's really weighing me down. Now, that might come up in, in a session with somebody that, that's ever-present in all of our lives, uh, but it's not something like, uh, like depression or uh, anxiety, some of those spe- specific challenges that we've talked about, but it has a co- constant effect on all of our lives. So, Lindsay, labels, talk me through it. <laughs>
2: First of all, like you said, labels is not exactly a clinical specific definition. Labels uh, are what we use as human beings to assign categories to people uh, and categories uh, to assign categories to all the things that are happening in the world around us. We do them in attempts to better understand the world around us uh, and so they can their goal is to be helpful for us but sometimes labels can be a little too broad and a little harmful to people at the same time
0: okay so where are we seeing these things come up i think the most common time that we would encounter labels in our lives are, or even in the church where do we see these lines get drawn
2: well Right now, I mean, in October 2020, we're asking everybody, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? As though there's only two options and everybody has to affiliate. Uh, In the United Methodist Church, uh, in the past year or so, preparing for general conference in the conversation about uh, LGBTQ individuals, we have said, are you conservative or traditional or are you progressive or liberal? Uh, We just assign these broad labels to people along the way as though it defines them wholly.
0: Yeah, Michael, can you expound upon what General Conference is for folks who uh, may not be familiar with it? All all three of us uh, are affiliated with the Methodist Church, but for our friends who are listening who aren't, that may not be familiar, catch us up.
1: I actually think it's a really, really great illustration for where I think labels stem from. Um, General Conference is a gathering of of thousands of Methodists from all over the world, United Methodists from all over the world who meet for two weeks to, to uh, revise uh, and renew our book of discipline, this, this, this book that binds us all together about how our churches operate and what we believe and how we act and the way we serve the world. Um and then set new vision and direction and a, and a financial plan to fulfill those things and we do that every four years as a global society and why I think it's a good illustration is a Methodists are really known we're really known for for organizing and for writing every possible thing down and and this book of discipline is very big and and thick and wordy and um uh, and it's it's a collection of human thought over a long period of time humans uh, we are in essence, we're, our brains are, are very large category, uh, makers. So, so the way we make sense of the world, when it, when it, when we interact with the environment around us, the way we make sense is that we have taken past experiences and we apply them to the current reality and try to make sense of what we're seeing. So when I see someone who, uh, looks like Evan, then I'm going to, if I've never met before, I might immediately start thinking, Oh, I wonder if this person's like Evan because, I've know Evan, I've categorized him as a good friend and someone I can trust and someone I can hang out with. And then when I see someone else, um, a little bit crazy too, if, let's be honest, uh, but, but it's somebody I, you know, and so if I see someone who who looks like Evan, I might quickly categorize that person as a friend as opposed to a foe. And so these labels that we create is is a method for us to try to make sense of this world that we're trying to navigate. And if you think about how much information your brain takes in at any given moment, it's a lot of information. And it's just trying to say, all right, this is good or bad. This, I should be, I, I feel safe. or I feel scared. And so it, at the root labels are a survival mechanism uh, and, and, and they're necessary parts of our identity. The trouble becomes when those labels become defining and destructive. And, yeah. and that's what, we tend to do with them is, is we don't uh, if Evan doesn't look like me and it scares me, then I make a label people who look like Evan are bad Mm. and I don't take, and, and I just write them off. So why this is so important right now above the other reasons that we talked about is, is racism. Racism is a form of labeling that becomes highly destructive and corrosive in our society. It stems likely from, researchers think the idea of fight or flight someone the way we categorize people and things that we interact with are these things appear safe or they don't are they like me are they not like me Um, but then it becomes this evolving really destructive force in our society when you don't address the labels when you just let them persist does that make sense
2: yeah with labels come assumptions and that's the purpose of labels so that we can do quick thinking And that's why our brains assimilate certain things together to help us think more quickly in that fight or flight. But that also means there's a lot of other assumptions Mm -hmm. that come along with it that may or may not be truthful. Mm.
0: Okay. So leading theory is that the the societal labels that we place on others uh, stem from our root need to quickly differentiate information as as beneficial or threatening so garbage truck headed straight towards me bad that's labeled bad danger move out of the way Uh, somebody that i care about something familiar a smell that i really like that kind of nostalgia uh, those kind of things good i should want that i smell food i get hungry i want to feed myself that kind of stuff and so that natural progression is that we then want to sort whether conscious or subconscious, more or less everything in our in our minds to save time and to save energy probably uh, is is what I've what I've seen some of the, the leading theories say. So that makes sense to me, uh, but I but I wonder then uh, we, we're talking about it almost as a, a negative connotation. Um, so obviously, the labels for safety seem pretty good, right? Like seems like a pretty good indicator. Um, it's when it gets carried over or we misidentify something uh, and we just make an assumption, uh, with, with our labels that we have, we talked about some dangerous ones, uh, like, like something that doesn't need to be labeled like race. That shouldn't be something that gets associated because of just the way that an individual looks or dresses or regards themselves. Um, Uh, And I think what's really difficult, too, is that as we get older and and working with uh, children into their teenage years and then young adults, um, as we get harmed by people and in the world we experience harm, um, we tend to apply. I have seen there's a greater application of labels to others as we get a little older. And as we get some experience, children tend to be pretty altruistic. Uh, they're optimistic about things. And as those experiences change and as they have a- adverse experiences, we begin to start categorizing. Is there uh, anything like that that you guys have seen where it seems like there's this shift that as we kind of live in the world for a little while, we start to understand what that, what that labeling process has kind of emerged into? I know that, Michael, you have young kids too. I, I,
1: I think it kind of goes – I think it has the potential of going – in both directions, maybe at the same time, even, um, I, I do see, you see, uh, you could see young children have a very open sense of, of not, uh, of just uh, being with kids, other kids. Um, but you could also uh, very early just see segmentation happening, uh, mm-hmm. fear of the, of the unknown. Um, you could also, uh, when I think about my own upbringing, uh, in the South, um, there, I I've inherited, uh, traditions for my family, belief systems for my family, labels for my family that that in an in a upbringing that kind of narrowed my pool of people that I spent my life with. Um, but then as I grew older, my my world grew bigger as my job mm-hmm. expanded and sent me to places other parts of the world and worked with students from all over the world on college campuses. I realized some of these stories that I was told, some of these labels I was given as a child were no longer relevant. So so I do think you you could see it kind of work both ways um, and and the potential for it to go both ways. I also know, I could say this too, uh, my, my grandmother um, in her late 90s uh, started reading a lot on interfaith work um, and that she, she was in the very rural South and kind of discovered this whole vein of, of interfaith um, conversations and meaningful relationships with people outside of Christianity. So, so it is possible, I think, to go both ways. Um, if we're aware and we're given hmm. opportunities to, to experience those who are different than us, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, Lindsay, so what, no matter where and how we get these labels, how in, in your experience, have you seen uh, them cause trouble and harm?
2: Well, in my counseling work specifically, where I see them starting to cause conflict is internal conflict when somebody is labeled something by others and the person often goes oh i don't see myself that way Mm -hmm. maybe maybe i should see myself that way or maybe i shouldn't Mm -hmm. um i think we've all been probably at some sort of uh family holiday where uh you have a family member that's like oh, you are so liberal, what are you doing? Or they look at somebody and say, oh, you are so conservative, you know, that they've put these two polar opposites um, on it along the way. and uh, Or I think even of labels (laughs) living in the South, everybody's like, so are you a Southerner? Mm. And you go, uh... I think I am. Um, I've had, <laughs>
1: Geographically. Like,
2: I mean, like, I've had my own ter- internal wrestling with this label over the years. because. Do I you have a
1: shirt sp- that says Grits?
2: <laughs> no, I do not. So I must not be an actual Southerner. You no,
1: know, in order, it, it Sorry. Grits, girls raised, raised in, the, in south. the South. Yeah, so I just, I want to put a disclaimer out there that Lindsay is not a Southerner
2: apparently not
1: have enough. Yeah. We don't have enough acronyms <laughs> on this show. <laughs> we, we
2: don't, we'll be putting out a glossary at some point <laughs> yeah, of yeah, all yeah. of this. Yeah. Um, but that's a label as silly as it is. People ask me if I'm a Southerner, I would say that I am. And then they go, so you've lived in the South your whole life. Well, no, um, I was born in Texas. And so I would call myself and then went back there for college. So I would call myself a Texan, but the Texans would say that I'm not a real Texan except when they find out that Hmm. I was born in Texas, I sort of get grandfathered in, but I left. So that doesn't count. Um, But then I lived in Chicago for a few years when I was young. Hmm. And that ruins any chance
1: of you being a Southerner. Correct.
2: Yet I was down here by the end of third grade. (laughs) So it's like, Everybody yeah. is ascribing labels to me, but then I had my own internal issue of, I see myself one day, de- one way, but they won't accept that label and want to label me something else. Mm.
0: Well, you guys can't see this uh, when you're listening, but Lindsay is actually scribbling furiously to describe all the categories. She falls in on a whiteboard <laughs> behind her. It's like a football coach or some kind of amateur conspiracy theorist. It's it's unbelievable, the speed that she could write with a you know, Perhaps
1: Goodness. just as we had the, the emotion wheel, maybe we could have the identity wheel and we could just list every... Mm. known identity that someone has ascribed to us or, or or ones that we ascribe to that's the other side yeah. I, I, something i was thinking about when you were talking was when 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 our own labels get dis- of ourselves either get us stuck or really become disruptive mm-hmm. those are those mm-hmm. are other because because it's not just what we think about other people sometimes it's the eternal stuff that really mm-hmm. uh is really hard to deal with and and understand when you when you go out and live in the world
0: or yeah, we sometimes this e- What am I? Yeah.
1: Sorry, we sometimes even
2: get stuck on some of those labels. Like we think we elevate one over others. Um, that it's like, okay, this is more of my identity than any of those other parts. When most likely they are much more equal than we're giving them credit for.
1: Yeah, I think one of the most interesting ones to watch. I, I'm working on a college campus, uh, this is just, this is kind of a vivid one for me, is that students who come from maybe a, uh, a smaller school, and they were always the highest in their class, the, the yeah. highest GPA in their class, that they were the star student, and uh, the valedictorian, and then they come to college, and all of a sudden, they're not, exceptional in the sense that they're not the only one who's who who is valedictorian they're surrounded by all these really smart people and so their whole life they have labeled themselves as the smartest person in the room and all of a sudden they're not or the flip side of that too uh, equal maybe equal numbers maybe more i don't know of students who end up at school and they're like i'm just not smart i shouldn't be here i'm not a smart student and they they've ascribed this label to them and they and they they believe it with all their heart and and these both of those avenues, both the belief that you're the smartest person in the room and you're not, or you're the dumbest person in the room and you're actually not dumb. Um, and those, they tend to hold students back and they get stuck mm. in these roles.
2: We that we is. have started using labels as definers instead of descriptors.
1: Yeah, and and then we're really sophisticated beings. So what what the brain does then is looks for what we call confirmation of our labels but what becomes what really it is is confirmation bias so so if i believe that i am not a smart person and i've been told that my whole life and i believe it then i will always remember and find and see the moments in my worldview, the way i see the world will be of the mistakes i've made and show mm-hmm. evidence of how i'm not smart mm-hmm. and and, and so that becomes reinforcing because all we see is the negative side, because mm-hmm. that's what we've been taught to see. Uh, same with if in, in racist uh, viewpoints is if you've been, if your grandmother taught you that, that people of another race are bad and dangerous and you shouldn't be around them, then you will look for stories that confirm that identity and it's called confirmation bias. And, and so, because you're only seeing the things you want to see. And, and that's the story of news right now. Like, if you read, if you could, each news channel and news source is kind of have its own, its own belief system. And people who follow those are just being reinforced. Their labels are being reinforced by, by watching just that same news source where everything confirms their belief system.
2: Hmm.
0: It kind of reminds me of the Scarlet Letter, uh, that book that I don't know. Did you guys have to read the Scarlet Letter? Mm. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Uh, th- th- something Nathaniel Hawthorne, something like that. I don't know. Um, I, that's uh, what am I? That's easily verifiable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> easily verifiable. Scarlet Letter, historical fiction by American author Nathaniel Hawthorne, published in 1850. Okay, great. We did. he did not get mauled by a cow if you've listened to our earlier episodes <laughs> that we know of. uh so <laughs>
1: so, so you need interesting to watch, i don't know what episode that was, but someone mm-hmm. in this group who shall remain nameless has had a few speaking gaffes
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah <laughs> okay great uh the <laughs> this the scarlet letter is
0: a book about uh Uh, a a woman who uh, is with child without a husband and she gets labeled as an adulteress, right. And so she has to wear this red letter on her clothing to show that she's, another, right? I think it's a perfect example of a label. Now, what you don't know is that I had to read that book in school, and it was uh, one of our summer reading books, and I read the the prologue. There's a beginning part where it talks about this person going into this room and opening up the box or something, and inside is that scarlet letter. I didn't know what the rest of the book was about at all. Uh, I I didn't know, Uh, and so I we had a pop quiz on the first day on the prologue of the Scarlet Letter, which I absolutely definitely read. But
2: if have, <laughs> I like that you feel the need to justify it to this
0: day. Like, by Just in the way. case your
1: teacher is listening.
0: I, th- listen, I'll tell you if I ain't read it, okay? So this one I did read, and I was ready for the quiz. Uh, and so they asked a question to describe the letter, talk about all this stuff. I didn't know what the book was about, and I hadn't read the rest of the book because we weren't supposed to yet. I thought, that it's, I thought that it was a, a written letter from one human to another, and I thought that it just happened to be the color scarlet. I thought it was like a, like a love note so, or whatever. So, they
2: pinned a letter to her.
0: Right. So, then I understood after the prologue that that was not the case. So, I answered every question <laughs> as if it was a written letter. So, they would ask questions like, what do you think the scarlet letter meant? And I'm like, well, it depends on what it said. You know what I mean? <laughs> because I didn't know I'd never heard of it and my teacher wrote on the quiz you clearly read it <laughs> but all of your answers are horribly wrong so I'm just going to I'm just going to do the best I can with your grade and I was like this is weird and then I read like the first page or two of the actual book not the prologue and I was like whoops <laughs> And so, in a lot of ways, that makes me think so much about the way that when we see labels, I mislabeled a book about labeling. You know what I mean? Like, I made an assumption (laughs) about what something was or was going to be, and I couldn't correlate it. And the, the rate and the speed at which I just jumped to the conclusion there uh, really caused me a lot of trouble when it came to the actual application. Like when I had to actually engage with the source material and understand. And I was reading to con- for content to kind of know what it was, but I wasn't reading to actually understand what was happening. Uh, and it, it seems like that is a... a pretty strong correlation to the way that we interact. A lot of times we interact to move quickly to labels so that we can move to other parts of the conversation and we don't approach things with understanding. What scripture talks very clearly about that we're supposed to seek to understand and not just express our own opinion like it says in Proverbs. So I wonder as believers, what is our role for interacting with labels? Because it's kind of hard for me to disentangle some of the old Testament, and the new Testament, like the Bible is always labeling people. It tells you who they were. They were the Philistines. So we killed them, right? The Pharisees, they were the ones that were wrong, right? They have all these identity labels. Uh, and so I don't really know how to reconcile that in your experience. How do we even start to open that box containing that scarlet
1: letter to tag it all back in? Well, I think, I think that, uh, and I really, I love you know this this whole journey together. This this podcast has has changed me and the way I see the world, and it's it's a real experience for us too. And one of those one of those real learnings is Lindsay just drives home for us that, that multiple things can be true at the same time. That that not That's everything. That you're picking is, up
2: on my theme yeah, here.
1: <laughs> yeah, not 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 mutually exclusive. And I think in terms of both labels and faithfulness. And, and relationship with our creator, that things, both things can be true many times. Like, so what I think the story of a particular list, if we look at Jesus, um, the story of Jesus is very clear. It comes with lots of labels about people and they're very, they seem to be at least very intentionally cultivated. So um, there's a, Barnabas the the blind beggar on the side of the road you've you've got uh, Zacchaeus who's the chief tax collector which has lots of loaded meetings only place in the whole scriptures that there's someone known as a chief tax collector so the worst of the worst and then and then and then there's this a lot of talk about Sadducees and Pharisees religious leaders who do bad things uh who make big mistakes um and so there's these labels that people would resonate with. It would, it would connect people into that story. And then what's beautiful about this narrative is that Jesus then apparently intentionally dines with these people. There's a big image across across the scriptures is yeah, a New Testament following Jesus' work is who Jesus eats with, who he spends time with. Um, and who he talks to and in most of those cases it's people who own labels that that should preclude his inclusion of them in other words yeah. it's it's not somebody society says he should talk to based on their label they're lame they're sick they're blind they're poor they're rich they're abusive they're single they're they're a woman they're a samaritan like like all of those things and then the story if you look kind of step back and look at it is God is with every kind of label you could imagine
0: mm-hmm.
1: God is there and so it it to me I think it's kind of encouraging because one it acknowledges that the 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 existence of these labels this categorizing system that we've developed as humans to make sense of the world and and yes. Sometimes we end up corrupting that, and then there's this reminder that God's in the midst of all of our labels and is transcendent of those labels.
2: And that God is calling us to be transcendent of those labels. We need to reach across and be with others that... I was going to say, aren't like us, but that's not even true. That may be more like us than we think, but based on the label, we perceive that they are not like us.
1: Mm. Absolutely. That's a perfect, that's a great, great concept of I think what's happening too. think about the disciples, the disciples that Jesus hangs around that he picks as kind of his inner circle of leaders um, are from all different kinds of walks of life. And many of them probably wouldn't have interacted with each other at all. Um, and they have a really hard time taking on that identity because they failed out of rabbi school. They they were they were you know defunct. They did, they weren't going to follow that line. They were in their own profession. So um, then they're grafted into this society with this new label, and and then they're assimilated into a group and they become apparently, by all we can tell, pretty close friends. Uh, and companions and they cared for each other and they left everything behind to to be with jesus and to go on this mission together um and so that's a beautiful way a way where where we see jesus sitting and eating with people what he's doing is joining people from different labels into a community that's mm. the that's what he's doing uh, over a meal um
0: how do we track that egg not to, not to run too far with your food analogy. Maybe it could be a brunch scenario. Ooh, uh, how do we brunch crack does that always. I
2: I miss group brunch. Can I just say that?
0: Yeah. That's the best. No, I mean, honestly, I think that's what most people come to this podcast for, is to hear three white folks talk about brunch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just miss people in general. And so maybe I missed the thought of a lazy afternoon sitting at brunch with friends.
0: Hey, listen. Brunch is great. We do Brenner a lot. If, you, if you're if you not an avid Actually, I will have
1: breakfast food any time of the day. It does not matter. I can have Agreed. it.
2: Agreed. I actually day. like breakfast food most times of the day, except breakfast time. It's too early for me. 10 mm. o'clock and after.
1: It's, it is kind of like a, a punch in the old gut to have a bunch of bacon and then Bunch of sugar. Bunch
2: I'm glad sugar. that we um, every episode, we <laughs> help our listeners know the most random things about us. Isn't that though? Yeah, this is an okay. interesting
1: aside. Like, Okay, so, so these food groups we have labeled as only <laughs> servable at certain periods of the day, right? I That's mean, true. It is, it is, it, it, we've organized our lives, so we only eat these certain food. And there is nothing wrong with eating pancakes at 5 o'clock or 10 o'clock
2: growing up in my household though if dad was home we could not eat breakfast food at dinner because his brain cannot process yeah, that. Can't do and, it he, and he's so like i can't handle it but anytime <laughs> yes. he was out the rest of the family was like yes breakfast for dinner
0: <laughs> so here's so, your tagline then as chicken and waffles was probably the pioneer and early adopter of transcending breakfast lunch and dinner because it appropriate it's It's all all inclusive yeah it's Mm. all of it uh in what way then are we to be the chicken and waffles of the world like jesus said how do we how do we break through
2: the question of the week how can we be the chicken and waffles of the world that's
0: what i want you to think about that's that's what i to leave with is yeah if you if you don't this is when the pastor goes if you don't remember anything tonight remember this and i'm like oh Better remember. Still don't remember, but it's kind of like one of those quintessential pastor lines. I, so, how do we do I that? Think,
1: what does that look like? I, I, I think my whole life has been about coming out of what my childhood taught me. And not that, not that what I learned was bad. I'm not saying that. It's just that I have a limited experience in the world as a child. But that's really did. defining. We all do. Just by our nature. Now mine was unilateral. Because, and
2: well, as a child, you don't have the ability to leave that construct. So it's going to mm-hmm. be limited. That's
1: right. That's right. And so when I moved on to, to college, especially, it began to open my world in, in, by meeting and living with and eating with people who were very different than me and saw the world differently than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the antidote to labels is is I would ironically say table fellowship' it's, it's, if I think jesus 's model of sitting with people and eating with people who are different than you will change the way you see them <laughs> and yeah. and you 'll discover that that you have far more in common than you have indifference and and so I think I think that 's the most powerful thing we can do as, as people is set a table and invite people who are unlike us to to, to eat together um, <laughs> or to do things together. Uh, and give a chance to understand them and experience them before you pass judgment.
2: Those moments also help us learn about ourselves. Because when we spend time with people that we perceived as different than us, we get to ask our own internal questions of, Mm -hmm. do I uh, believe what that person believes or not, or part of it? And how do we wrap our brains around who we are and what labels we see for ourselves. This goes back to the episode that we did on individuation, that we spend time in our lives trying to separate out our identity and figure out who we are in the grand scheme of community. Where do we fit? What are we like? What are we not like?
0: Yeah, that is interesting. I think the... The thing about stuff like this that just personally is always so interesting to me is it always sounds the process that we're talking about sounds so critical and it sounds theoretically very boring, like it just seems like such a oh, so heavy such a heavy handed way to approach relationships. Like okay. Um, I want to be intentional about breaking down labels. So now I'm going to go meet people with the expressed intention of breaking down labels. You know, like I am the label breaker. This is what I do. Label meet table. Like here we go. Like some kind of like WWE, like tables, ladders and chairs match people flip it off the top rope. Like that is that, that to me is not fun. And what I have found is that when we play well together and when we enjoy things together with people that that are in common, it creates this enjoyable opportunity to break labels and it kind of goes alongside it rather than uh, approaching it as like a label breaking thing. Like if you invited me to a meeting and you're like, what we're going to do is we're going to sit down and we're going to break labels that hold each other down. Some people would be super duper into that. I like the idea of it. I wouldn't buy a ticket to it necessarily. You know what I mean? Not that I don't think it's not important, but I, 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 for me, what I found that's so powerful is the way that just a third party thing that happens at the same time, like a meal or like a game or a common like thing that we like to do, a book or a show, uh, those kind of things, uh, tends to put uh, the focus on something else and an amazing conversation happens. And this is not necessarily explicitly gendered, but uh, I'll speak from experience as a, as a uh, a, a male. I won't call myself a man, uh, but as a male, uh, I, <laughs> Michael, really liked that one. Uh, I <laughs> have found that in working with uh, especially youth and college students, the guys tend to engage better when there's something else going on. I have had the best conversations that break down labels over ping pong. <laughs> You know, and, and, and playing pool or, or playing a sport uh, and the conversations that happen when there's a third party thing that helps us to expend energy and experience conflict and challenge and challenge ourselves like sports do. And then we're able to enter into a relationship and it breaks down labels. And uh, it's been really neat to see that aspect of play and sport rise to prominence in kind of our modern sports landscape, uh, where it's not just about being hyper competitive, but it's about what what sport and what play can accomplish as well. And so I wonder, w- with the church, the, my favorite memories that break down labels are the fun memories. It's not a sermon. It's not a series. It's stacking chairs and cooking with people who are intergenerational in the kitchen. And it's all of the, it's the, it's the label breaking while doing seems like what Jesus actually did. He didn't just say, break your labels. He showed and lived it. Uh, and, and it's like, it's caught, not taught. You know what I mean? You have to be a part of it and you get, you get wrapped up in the momentum with it and it starts changing your soul and it touches you and you just can't do anything, but have to break down those labels when you interact with folks like that.
1: I think you're right. I think that's why most of our equity training, racial reconciliation training uh, experiences often aren't, aren't successful is because they're teaching you what you need to know, not how to do it and, and not actually doing it. Like what would be more powerful, the most powerful kinds of experiences that I've had that have changed my view on race in the world is by having meaningful fun based relationships with people who look differently than me and who've experienced the world differently than me because of the color of their skin. Um, that's how we grow empathy. The, the only way to sort of to, to practice empathy with someone who's different than you is to actually hear their story and try to understand mm-hmm. it and, yeah. and to ask questions and to be vulnerable about the things that you're you, – you, the storylines you believe about them um, and allow them to be disrupted. And, uh, you know, the thing about disruption is that it's, it can be painful and it can be embarrassing. That's, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that keeps us from, from actually doing these things is that we're ultimately embarrassed about the things we believe. Mm. Um, let me give you an example that's not really, not race-related and not even, I think it's a little bit, it, it may be understandable too. Um, so we work with college students one of the things we do is we help churches who are interested in serving with young people um, and trying to create space for young people in their communities. And one of the things we find in that is that the the, the older church members are very, they're nervous or anxious or uh, uncertain about interacting with young people because they, they fear that the young people's value systems are different and that their language will be different and they're not going to be cool enough to talk to them, or they're not going to understand them or the young person might ask them a question they can't answer. And interestingly enough, the same exact thing is happening on the other side where the young people don't feel like they're competent enough, adult enough to have a meaningful relationship with someone who's in their sixties or seventies or fifties and forties. And so what then happens is this embarrassment creates a chasm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and so that leads to stereotypes and labels and assumptions that further drive those things apart. And so what mm-hmm. our job is to set tables for young people and old people to do stuff together, like mm-hmm. Habitat Builds or sh- mission, shared mission projects or that, the things that are physical and active and engaging. So there's just a chance that they'll get to work together and realize that college students aren't that scary. Mm-hmm and that adults aren't that scary. Uh,
0: Seguing into the idea of disruption and pain, uh, Lindsay, where where would you start for those of us, and which is really probably most of us, who have experienced pain due to labeling someone else or being labeled and the pain that comes with with that experience?
2: I mean, I'll always come back to it is a helpful place to go to therapy, talk to a friend, talk to your pastor to really figure out why that felt uncomfortable or felt painful. Was it painful that somebody made an assumption about you that wasn't true? Was it painful that you thought you were one way and people perceived you a different way as Michael said, were you embarrassed that you lumped somebody into a category that they didn't fit? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe that you didn't take enough time to know somebody or you heard one sentence and made a decision about them or even hurt that somebody did that about you. Mm -hmm. And, And so, I think a lot of it is the first step is processing what... This all goes back to the feelings wheel. What feeling did you have because of that painful moment, what what is the pain really about?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Embarrassment, sadness, uh, nervousness, anger. What's what's it really? What's the pain really sitting in?
1: Mm. I think so much of the labels that we use on other people are in response to the labels we use for ourselves. So one of the things I think that could be helpful in this kind of scenario is, is to first recognize the labels we use to hurt ourselves um, that have been weaponized by our friends, our family, our internal thoughts, because often if we deal with those internal labels first, then we're able to have a little more empathy for others. And we're able to have a little less hurt because it's the woundedness that causes the reaction and the mm-hmm. the anger and the frustration and the, and the violence, even that we're experiencing in our world right now is coming from a place of hurt and unresolved mm-hmm. identity issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think of this, um, I mentioned, I think, uh, Papa Joe Hendricks, you know, my my professor my of Christian ethics in, uh, in uh undergraduate school at mercer where i went and uh he was he he was a a major proponent of um racial reconciliation in in the middle georgia area and he um at mercer's campus a really incredibly important figure for that period of time and he taught our christian ethics class and one of the things uh, this opening thing he did every time he taught this class is he would ask everyone to go up onto the board and and just write the, their labels like who they are using these you know i'm i i'm a christian i'm a southerner i'm a girl raised in the south i'm a uh biology major i'm a man i'm a woman i'm a transgendered i whatever you're like all the labels all these like uh, um identities i'm i'm fat i'm skinny i'm not strong i'm strong whatever those and so the board would just fill up and it would start off with generally kind of um, you know bland identities, biology major, and then someone might be a little bit more revealing, and they put something else up, and then by the end of it, the board's covered with these labels and in increasingly vulnerable ways, and then Papa Joe just lets it sit there and simmer, and then he walks up and and he kind of erases some space in the middle, just creates some space in the middle, and he writes, uh, I am you are.' a child of God who happens to be. He said the first framework for understanding how to find some sense of reconciliation with all these things is to understand a superseding identity that you are a child of God to start there. And then out of that, begin to understand and make sense of all these labels that you've accumulated over time, sometimes given to you without your desire at all, and then, and then out from that, you can begin to identify what is really. If I'm a child of God, which of these labels is really me? Is really part of me? And then learn how to practice jettisoning the things that were given to you that are not really true about you. Hmm. Um, and so, I think doing some of that kind of hard work, like you were actually alluding to that that Lindsay was writing all of her identities on a board. I think that's a great idea. Start off with that and then start, start to make sense of them and say, which of these are fake? These are not real. Someone gave this to me. I'm not, I'm not that. Um, and then I think by going through that process, you'll begin to see that other people are a complex collection of labels and identities and stereotypes, some of which are true and accurate and some of which are completely and utterly false. And mm. to start with that narrative, then you understand that you could you could, might be wrong about other people.
2: The way that you tell that story makes me think back to when I was in social work school, we intentionally spent a lot of time talking about how we phrase a sentence. You hear people say the addict, the schizophrenic, and, and use it as though it's a noun. And so we had to take a lot of time saying the person with schizophrenia. The person struggling with an addiction, and so now I hear it all the time mm-hmm. um, even when I mess it up, I hear it come out of my mouth, and I go, "No, it's the person with or the person mm-hmm. that happens to be exactly what you said michael mm-hmm. and and it's really impacted how I interact with my own being and how I interact with the world around me—that it mm-hmm. is not a definer; it is yeah. simply a descriptor.
1: That I mean, person you first may language. in fact be an addict. That may be true—that you are—and you're, but but you are first a child of God, who happens to be struggling with addiction.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's a total different. Re, that's a, that reframes your identity in a way that you have uh, what we think about as original goodness. You know that 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 mm-hmm. you're originally created out of God's goodness not out of God's anger or frustration or your original sinfulness, but you were created out of goodness. And from that, I think there's an opportunity for healing and reconciliation uh, in our lives.
0: Yeah, that person-first language is a bit of a shift. We used to practice, because we had to use person-first language for programming uh, in school, and we used to practice on things that weren't people. Uh, so we would say the pizza with pepperoni, uh, like we 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 would use <laughs> like, object, like practice like objects first language, uh, and it made me laugh. But it makes you it makes you think about it uh, in a way that you, it is more thoughtful. Like let's not let's not read with lead with a descriptor. Let's lead with reinforcing identity. Uh, and then we'll, uh, y- it has pepperoni on it. We're not going to ignore the pepperoni. We're just going to make sure that, and especially in the English language where you get adjectives first and you don't get the noun, you know what I mean? Because uh, especially in like Spanish and stuff, you typically get mm-hmm. the object first. So you you're visualizing it and then you shape it the way it's described. And in the English language, we front load. So it's like the giant red, Truck? Elephant? I don't know. I'm thinking of things that are giant and red. It's Clifford, right? Like you just don't know. So you kind of start labeling and categorizing right away in the way that we, we speak and communicate to each other. And so that's really, that's really interesting. Uh, so the last thing uh, as we kind of wind down is this question. If We've talked a lot about labels as something that can be used kind of like a bungee cord to pull us back into pain and distress the way that we've been labeled. As we kind of run away from those labels, we try and break them. They tend to have this constant pressure to kind of pull us back what opportunities and is it possible to use labels positively to pull people towards right identity, like you were talking about, Michael, so that the same powerful psychological force can be used to reinforce what is good or what we want to be compared to just the negative?
1: I, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's the other thing we have to do is sort of de-weaponize labels uh, because it's, it's, it's that power that we give them that becomes corrosive in our relationships. And so I I guess the first thing, as I was thinking when you were talking about starting that question was, I just want people to know that you're not a bad person if you use labels. If you if you you're using human. labels, you're you're a human. That's just you're a, you are this. You're a person, magnificent with um, creation that is able to take in massive amounts of data and categorize it and make sense of it and write books about it. And we Methodists will write a whole book of discipline trying to make sense of our theology and our order of
2: church. And that God a, built us to have yeah, labels because it's, that's it's, helps our brains right it's those are great things and you're not bad for having them you're not
1: even a bad person if you've misused those labels and recognize that and you that that is too is just sort of part of the way things have worked out in our lives and how we're how things like that can can become destructive in us um and so i want us i want you to start from your original goodness in doing all these things is that that, that god looked at you and said you were good um, and you've been given these good gifts and we've made a mess of them together. I have, you have, we all have, um, and we will continue. Uh, the, the, the next best step we can take is to recognize those things that are good in people and, and name those too. Um, you know, that there's uh, naming, telling your child the good things about them, um, rather than always telling them that they're bad or they don't listen. They're not a good listener. They're, they're uh, short-sighted. They're not smart enough. You're not getting enough grades. See, those are all labels. The opposite is true. You can give them, you're very smart. You're kind, you're generous. You you're loving. We can give, we can give those same kind of labels um, in a different way that can radically change their life. Because if a child grows up believing that they're kind and they're generous and they're loving and they're and they're forgiven, they're going to live a very different life than if they grow mm-hmm. up. They're not smart enough. They're not healthy enough. They're not pretty enough. Um, and so labels are can, can be used for both good and evil.
0: Yeah. Now I'm thinking about a kid whose parents just told them they were something, whether they exhibited it or not. And so I'm thinking of somebody who's thinks they're kind, but they're really mean because their parents were just like, no, that's kind. Just take all their stuff. It's good. Just be greedy. That's fine. You're generous. (laughs) I've just got this fake person in my mind who's grown up. Maybe I'm thinking of real people. I don't know. Maybe it's me. Lindsay, as we wrap up, anything else? (laughs) Anything else is such a bad segue. If you're listening right now, you need to understand that's such a bailout thing. Lindsay, what else would you add as we close? What a better, what a better, whoa, better lead in.
2: I love thinking about labels in a positive way of if if we both label ourselves if I mean all 3 of us label ourselves as Christians yet if Sometimes. we talk <laughs> if, if we talk through all of our theological beliefs my guess is is that the 3 of us don't align perfectly on everything and so well, we all identify as United Methodist and share a lot of that theology. Sometimes. Okay, again, sometimes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not trying to name you as all the time. Michael's like a
0: cat that you're trying to put in a box right now and take to the vet. It's just like every my time you point, try to put him in there, he's like claws on the edge.
2: <laughs> my point of all of this is...
1: Guys, we took a couple of weeks off, Aww. and so we miss each other. And Lindsay really misses our randomness in her life. And so I'm just mm-hmm. giving it to her.
0: Her life's oh. been way too like, – Simple. You, like, yeah, everything's direct. Without they've
2: us. they've missed uh, their free therapy sessions with me. That's, um, true. that's true. So our labels, what I can be helpful about them is moments that – we can see that we have a shared label, but the more time we spend together, we can also realize that that shared label, while it is truthful, can also house differences. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think labels can be helpful, is that you can feel connected to somebody else while also at the same time owning where you might be different from somebody Uh, else and learn uh, and grow from that.
0: That's great. The the recognition and application process, uh, is, is so critical there. Uh, uh, just while we kind of wrap up, uh, just I, say say one thing. I just, cause oh, I want
1: to yeah, get to what Lindsay said there. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, my comments that I made about that is just the recognition that, that like the label pastor, the label Christian, the label United Methodist comes with all kinds of, uh, interpretation. Mm-hmm. People, depending on how they encountered those words in their life, and so right. why I, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, messing with Lindsay, but also partially true, which isn't that true about when we make fun of things, is they're partially true and partially fun, mm-hmm. um, is that it's hard to carry some of the labels that we're given. Um, it's hard to to recognize that some people will experience them differently and that, and, and figure out how to work your life out in a way that you feel comfortable with the identity of who you really are and how you look and what people think.
2: I definitely choose when I feel comfortable sharing labels like that. In a podcast on conversations about faith and mental health, I feel more feel comfortable,
1: comfortable
2: saying that. Been on
1: an airplane,
2: however, if you sit next to me on an airplane, I will, and they ask me what I do for a living, a my therapist first is what resp- you say. Therapist is still not a good answer usually, but it usually provides better uh, seatmate results than saying you're a pastor. Um, But I'm conscious of what settings I say it in. Um, And we can talk more about this some other time if need be, but there's certain people that I'll announce that to and certain people I won't because of my concern about the assumptions that come along with it.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's a great example of the power of, of labels and how, and the weight that you have to carry with it. And some of us could conceal them. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at me, you probably don't think pastor. Um, maybe you do. I don't know. My hair is kind of combed over. So maybe, maybe you do. I don't know. Uh, maybe, <laughs> but, but it, but the color of my skin, I can't hide. Mm-hmm. Um, my accent, my language, I can't hide. And so that's when these labels become really, really powerful. Cause in the same way, if someone believes that someone who, who is white and American is bad or dangerous, then I I have a very limited window to be able to help them understand that I may not be bad and dangerous.
2: What you said, when I tell people a lot of times that I am a pastor, I always get, well, you don't look like one. (laughs) And I'm like, what does that mean? I don't look like one. First of all, is it because I'm a woman or is there something else about my appearance that does not appear to be a pastor? I mean, it surprises people. Young woman. Um, I guess I'm not really young anymore. Younger. Woman with young. Thank you. (laughs) Woman with young. (laughs) Thanks for the clarification. I'll be sure to include that. Michael
0: did it earlier. He said, he said, when you don't tell your kid, you're a bad person. And the reason is because you should tell them they're a person with bad.
1: Even when you're insulting (laughs) someone. Which is a complete true statement because all of us have the potential of bad. Mm -hmm. But, But if we were a bad person, that means that every, our only potential is bad.
0: I do wanna correct the record too. Woman with young could be interpreted as someone currently with a child. Great with child.
1: <laughs> correct, and that is
2: not my current situation. Well,
0: I don't, mean, I don't mean necessarily bearing children currently. I mean, like, it's like, oh, there's that woman with young. Like, it's like a David Attenborough type uh, nature documentary. You know, man with young, he's there with his children. Anyways, we're, I'm, I'm so- We offended.
2: need to wrap we're this. We're
0: gonna land this plane,
1: <laughs> eh. guys. I just want to say that the first first step is to understand that you have labels that people have assigned to you and many of them are not real. And then you have also labels that you've assigned to other and they have sometimes been good and they have been bad and you're okay. The first step though is to, to understand that and then the next step is to start meeting with and being with people who look differently, who think differently than you and have fun together and allow your, (laughs) allow your labels to be, to be reassigned.
0: Perfect. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks Lindsay and Michael for all of your friendship and input. Always a blast. And we appreciate you. Thanks to Justin Patton who produced this episode. We appreciate you, Justin. He also did the music. So get in touch with us. If you want to work with Justin, as always, you can check us out on iTunes. Google Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify. On our website, you can follow our you can follow our podcast at Not Alone Pod. We post fun things on there. It's a great place to message us if you uh, have any questions or want to leave some comments. And as always, if you feel comfortable uh, leaving us a little rating and uh, giving us some feedback, uh, your feedback is constantly shaping uh, the the way that we have these conversations. So thanks for taking the time to listen, and we will see you next episode. Bye, everybody.